0: Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyover Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy! Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and today we are lucky enough to have Steve Cousins with us. And Steve is the CEO of Saviok, which is the maker of the robot Relay. And it's quite cool what Relay can do. Uh, Essentially, right now, Relay is working with several hotels, and they deliver items for guests. So let's say you're in a hotel room, and if you want toothpaste, you call the front desk, and the front desk will put uh, a tube of toothpaste in uh, Relay, the robot, and the robot will deliver it to your room. So it sounds quite sci-fi, which I like. And so that's why I invited Steve onto the show to tell us more about his very interesting robotic-rich background and exactly what they're doing at Savioke. So, Steve, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, before yeah, and like I mentioned in the intro, I mean, you have a, quite a rich background. Um, can you tell us a little bit more um, about your background?
1: Um, probably the highlight is uh, the last company and this company. So I, I ran a company called Willow Garage, which was... Um, Sometimes call it a think tank or an incubator. Uh, Somebody called it once a halfway house for wayward (laughs) researchers on their way to startups. Um, But Willow Grads was was a pretty amazing place. Um, It was funded um, to basically have impact first and worry about return on capital second. So not a typical startup. Um, And as a result, we were able to attract researchers who maybe were a little bit more risk averse than starting a startup. Um, before this robotics boom that we're in now had really gotten going. Um, We started with uh, some kind of random projects. There was an autonomous car project that Scott Hassan started. He was the founder. Um, There was an autonomous boat project that he also started. And when I came on, I I kind of rounded out the portfolio by bringing in a project from Stanford um, called the Personal Robotics Project. Um, And after a few months, we decided, you know, let's just focus on the personal robot something we can really be world class at um and so we did and, and there's two parts to that there was this amazing robot called the PR2 personal robot 2 which was um in hindsight we went back and renamed the stanford prototype uh the PR1 um uh, so the PR2 was the second generation of this um and then there was the software to go with it really that one of the probably the primary goal of this project was to make it so that all the research labs um, around the world who were working on robotics could share code. And that was something that really couldn't happen before that, because there was no common hardware platform. Um, and then there, was, there were a bunch of different um, kind of open-source software platforms, but all pretty much created by a few grad students at a lab somewhere. No major um, you know, serious investment. Um, And so what we did is is took the fact that we had the ability to build a a world-class team. We built this PR2 robot, and we also um, put about 100 to 150 engineer years into the robot operating system and really had it become just dominant in terms of robotics, open-source robotics software, because basically nope you know it's very hard to put that kind of energy and effort into something unless you're very well funded and so we we took advantage of that fact and and created the software that's now kind of knitting the world of robotics together
0: yeah interesting yeah and that was a big uh, contribution you guys gave to the robotic community and and can you just give an example of you know what how the robotic operating system enabled a researcher or a, de- a robotic developer um with the using an operating system that they couldn't do beforehand.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, the problem of building a robot, right? You have, um, I mean, first you have the mechanical and electrical engineering pieces, right? So you're going to put together some some hardware that can move in certain ways. But then the next problem you have is you've got software all the way up the stack. So from device drivers to, to control the individual motors or um, or individual sensors, to uh, you know, a communication system to put those together, to the algorithms on top of that that do motion planning and um, and other kind of higher level robotic actions and perception, and and so really it's hard for anybody to be an expert all the way up and down, even the software stack, much less the hardware stack. And as a result, what ROS does is it lets you be good at whatever you're good at, right? So if you're good at robot perception then you can get all the rest of the stack,
0: huh.
1: um, the low-level stuff, for free and just add your own perception stuff and have a working system that emphasizes what you've done, but the rest of the system at least works. And somebody else might come in and say, oh, I'm really good at motion planning, and I'm going to focus on that aspect. And so they're going to use you know, the off-the-shelf perception stuff that's part of Roth, and they'll get something that also works, and it'll be different you know, great in another way. And so there's an opportunity to basically get going and do your first prototype. And when you're trying to grow a business um, or get a PhD thesis, either way, right? <laughs> you, you can't solve the whole, the whole stack before you get going. So if you're trying to grow a business, you can get a working prototype really fast and see if your customers like it and see what areas you need to most improve it and then focus on those areas in order to get better. If you're doing a PhD thesis, you can have a working system that turns over and you improve the part that is going to be your thesis and the rest of it just is there to show off. So it's really cool as kind of a scaffolding that you can then add, you know, depth to.
0: Yeah, no, it's super cool. And part of the reason why probably robotics uh, will, well, it's taken off, but it will even more so in the next, uh, next few years, as well as probably different reasons, which I'd like to ask you about that too. But before we jump into a, how uh, relay came about in Saviok. I I I always like to ask, especially when someone like you, with your background, like, when you were growing up, uh, do you like building stuff? Were you curious, or when did you get involved with uh, building stuff?
1: So I was fortunate enough to grow up just at the um, beginning of the personal computer revolution. All right, so I came out of, I was in in high school. Um, I was, I missed punch cards by one year in high school and I missed punch cards by one year in college. Right. So, I mean, this is a good thing because punch cards really slow down. Um, I did actually get to experience paper tape for a year or so in high school, but, um, so that's, I guess I'm dating myself, but the point is, you know, I, I had this opportunity to, to do automation, but not, um, not so much robotic automation, I, you know, I was able to do, for example, you know, I got word processors in the early days. And so it was like, oh, this really does save me time. I don't have to retype my draft of my paper. I can just, you know, fix the errors and print it again and get a perfect draft out. So that, you know, that was, that sounds very mundane today, but it was a big deal, um, you know, back in the day. And, and the first robot that I really got to play with was a robot arm uh, in college where um I wanted to make the robot write like draw characters or draw a picture. Um, the problem was it was a really shaky, um, you know, cable-controlled robot arm, not very precise, and it didn't have any way to, to put force control. And so, you know, I, I quickly experienced the limitations of early robotics. Um, and so, I, you know, at, at that point, I just, you know, didn't do more with robotics for a while. I got to Stanford, and um, there was a, a robotics class, a lab, so I took that. And in that class, we were trying to make this robot navigate from point A to point B, almost exactly what Relay does, except that it didn't have the sensors that we have today. It had like a ring of 16 sonars. And if you think wow. about trying to navigate with that, um you know, you, we actually got it to go down the hall and turn left at the intersection and kind of stop roughly in front of a door. Um, But, you know, we were within, I don't know, three feet accuracy or something, and we got lost all the time. <laughs> so, you know, it really makes, and so at the time it was like, oh, there's no way we can pursue this. But now you can see that it's, uh, you know, we've come a long way in essentially the last 20 years to where, you know, you, could, you have lots of robots and both indoor and outdoor and autonomous cars, and really the, the field is popping because the technology has kind of all come together, and we've had some, as I'd say, curves crossed. Right, the yeah. the ability to process um, data um, has surpassed our ability to collect data. Right, you had video cameras um, and the ability to digitize them, you know, 20 years ago, but you couldn't probably do it in real time for for low cost. You could probably do it for a lot of money in real time, but then you couldn't process them in any way. And today, you can get you know, like an Intel real sense for, you know, a hundred dollars and you can process it with your cell phone if you want to. Um, and you probably can process the data in your cell phone camera in real time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's all, it's all in one package for a few hundred bucks. And that's a completely game changing thing that, you know, you may not realize unless you knew what it was like before.
0: Definitely. And, uh, so let's get into, a relay a little bit and so it sounds like you almost had that idea uh, a long time ago but I was going to ask where how did the idea idea and technology um come about for relay so your know, relay um it's kind of a direct descendant in thinking from what we
1: did at Willow Garage so we started with you know a two-armed mobile robot and it was able to be around people uh, it can navigate around people um had arms that were safe to be around and so we had these robots for from around 2008 um till i guess 2013 so for about five years we had these robots running around in the lab and we were living with them um i mean literally you know moving around they're moving in our space and so we said okay this is cool we've kind of got you know navigation indoor solved we can go from point a to point b uh reliably but you know the kind of tasks that we wanted to do with them, you know, we had at one point a a really cool demo where the robot would bring you a beer and it actually opened the refrigerator, reached in, picked out the right beer and then brought it to you. (laughs) But one of the problems that you had to solve for this was how are you going to hold the beer? Right. And if you think about, I mean, this is a fun technical thing. Um, when the robot is holding the beer, like its arms are in front of it, holding the beer like you would, as you walk with it, um, the robot won't go. Like, why won't it go? It's because there's something floating in front of its sensors, right? It's the beer. Uh, (laughs) Because beer is in its hand and and, and you naturally recognize that, oh, that's something I picked up and I'm going to ignore it. But the robot basically says, hey, there's something in front of me. I better not go because it's not safe to bump into things. It doesn't realize that it's holding the beer, right? (laughs) And it's very fundamental common sense stuff. So, so in, for that project, we end up putting a cup holder on the robot so the robot could put the beer in the cup holder and then drive and then pick it out of the cup holder and give it back. But that kind of is the seed of the idea that, you know, it's really important to have a trunk of some kind on the robot, some way to, some place to put things that's designed for that so that the robot can do its job, which is navigating. And then, you know, the stuff that you're delivering is, is kind of out of the way of the sensors and, and, and secured away. And as we, As we moved from PR2 through a series of robot prototypes, um, we went from one that could basically pick up a box um, from a table or on on the floor and carry it someplace else and put it down onto a table or onto the floor, onto a shelf. And and that prototype was was pretty cool because you say, oh, we can automate logistics, Kind of, you can move things around, isn't that cool? Um, We simplified the problem by not trying to pick up every arbitrary shape but instead just pick up these boxes. That was a good idea. Um, But then we realized as we started Savio, you don't actually need to um, pick up boxes and put them down. Most of the time, or at least half the time we saw, there's somebody at both ends of the delivery, which means that all you need to do is really let somebody put something in, do the work of, you know, riding the elevator and walking down the hall and, and then, provide it to the person at the other end. So that's kind of the, the transition from, you know, two arms, which is very humanoid to something which simplifies the problem a little bit, um, which we could, we could actuate a little bit more to something that simplifies the problem even more and that we can actually deploy and, and put out into the world.
0: So you had this interesting tech. How, how did you figure, how did you decide to focus on hotels? Did somebody come up with the idea or a hotel approach you? Um, so we had an
1: aha moment uh, okay. at Willow garage where we were we were arguing about should we be in factories or should we be in homes and back and forth factories, homes factories, homes and there was this aha moment where we said, you know what um there's something in the middle right <laughs> there's places that you know a hotel's not exactly a factory but but it's got a lot more um repeating tasks than the home does right so in the home you wash your dishes and the in the hotel, you have a restaurant and you do lots of dishes, right? In the home, you make a bed. In the uh, hotel, you have you know hundreds of beds. And so it, it has some of the repeating characteristic of tasks in the factory, but it's almost yeah. untouched by automation, uh, at least certainly by robotics. And so we said, you know, that this the service industry, hotels being one, one part of, is a really uh, untapped area for automation. And if we can really move safely around people, we're going to distinguish from what happens in the factories. I mean, in factories, you always put the robots behind a cage um, so that they can move fast and they don't have to worry about safety. But let's put safety first and say, you know what, we think we can make robots move safely around people, which means that we open up a whole world of um, of businesses, a whole you know selection of businesses um, that could use automation. And we looked at hotels and said, hey, there's 55,000 hotels in the U.S., um, they tend to have kind of regular structure inside and, you know, we think we'd be able to navigate really well in them. If we can solve this elevator problem, um, and so we went to work and got the robot so we could ride the elevator and, um, you know, added that to what we already knew how to do well, which was navigate indoors and, and put together the solution.
0: Yeah. And that was my next question. What was one of the bigger challenges moving to hotels? Was it the, the elevator I'm trying to figure that out?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that the biggest challenge for any you know, for robotics today in general is getting the use case right. So how do you um, find a use case where you can do it from end to end and you can handle all the all the things that come up, right? So I mean you see, um pick on there's been a bunch of robots lately um that are designed to go down the sidewalk, right? And that's fine as long as um you can deal with all the things that happen on the sidewalk, right? And and there's a wide range from weather to um, cracks um, to, uh, you know, somebody parked their bicycle there to, you know, whatever. There's there's lots of there's lots of, of special cases that come up. And, and we ran into the same thing in hotels. We, you know, we try to navigate through the hotel. You run into housekeeping carts. I mean, don't literally run into them. You, you encounter them and go around <laughs> them um, or you get blocked by them. Right. And you run into, uh, you know, uh, somebody left a vacuum cleaner in the hall or there's a tray on the floor of breakfast or, you know, there's any number of, of things that you have to deal with. But but it's not an infinite number. Right. There's a or at least there's a very, very long tail. So you can handle, you know, ninety nine percent of the cases um, with, you know, with a sufficient amount of engineering. And then there's always something else that comes up and you have to be able to handle that. Um or, or at least recognize that you can't handle it and ask for help, and that's kind of what what we do.
0: And and how do you guys deal with kind of more of the the social aspect, the social engineering, so that people? I mean, you have a you design a beautiful robot, but how do you make it so people weren't freaked out <laughs> by a robot delivering it? I mean, like I would love it, I mean, but yeah,
1: yeah. You do when we do our best job at design. Um, one of the things we argued about was whether we're going to you know have eyes on the screen or not mm. um whether we're going to humanize it a little bit um we don't want to um you know pretend like it's more intelligent than it is on the other hand you know it's nice to make it cute and friendly and but you know it's a combination of, of do your best with design but also one of the key elements of good design is to go off and test things and so you know when we were at Willow Garage and we were talking about uh, putting robots in elder care um one of the big questions was, you know, are older adults going to be comfortable having robots around or are they gonna be freaked out? And we didn't know the answer, so what we did is we brought robots to <laughs> the elder care facilities and we saw how people reacted to them. Huh. Um and and we continue to do that with relay um all throughout its development in order to get, you know, the kind of feedback over what people like, what people don't like. Um, you know, we added a we added a motor um system that isn't strictly necessary, um, but the bin, you know, just opens by itself. And that was a purely a usability trade-off thing, right? If we said, if, if we do that, we can make basically a hundred percent of the time people know how to work it, right? Because if you open the lid for them, uh, everybody figures out that you should reach in,
0: yeah, <laughs> and look inside
1: yeah. <laughs> and see what's there. Right? It's very, it's like so obvious. Um, if you don't automate the bin, you have to somehow communicate to people that they have to open the bin, right? And it turned out we, I mean, we tried that because it was was easier, um, but it, it it was you know there was a certain failure rate, you know certain percentage of people just wouldn't get it, and so you you don't do that, right? Because you have to do um, you have to build for for your use case. Our use case was they're all first time to a first approximation everybody's a first time robot user when they get a hotel delivery, and so you know we have to deal with lots and basically everybody's a first time user so how do you make it as easy as possible and you know and so that's the that's the design and it turned out that the combination of of all the little design elements that we did and testing we got it so people really like it and and um, now we see what was amazing to us is that the guest experience in the hotel you know when hotels always measure the guest experience uh indicators and we're seeing measurable bumps in all the guest experience because of the robot, which is, which is really cool. You know, we designed it to to help out the staff. Um, but it turns out that even more than that, we're delighting the guests.
0: Yeah. Well, I can see, I mean, and tech is becoming so much part of the culture and, uh, you know, we just almost expect it. And when you have something unique and fun like that, yeah, I would stay at a hotel just to experience it. (laughs) So I can see what, yeah. Um, well, we're almost out of time here, and uh, I got many questions, but I, I am curious, you know, what are some, uh, a, I guess a couple, this is a couple questions, but what additional use cases, or uh, do, do you want to focus on hotels for a while, and you know, what, or what features do you want to add to it, um, and, you know, and are sensors and cameras already a, a part of the tool set, um, just curious what else you might want to add in the future.
1: Well, I think that the big um, opportunity that we have before us now is that, um, you know, there's a lot of hotels, and we've really done a good job of nailing the uh, hotel guest room delivery use case, right? But the, the robot that we've built and the technology um, has always been uh, something that, you know, we feel like is broader than hotels in, in applicability. And ever since we've been, uh, you know, talking about this publicly and putting hotels, or putting robots out in hotels, we've seen people, uh, we've had people calling us and saying, "Hey, I can use it for this. I can use it for that." And so, you know, the next big step for us is this becomes a platform that you can use for delivery in any, um, you know, service industry application, basically in any indoor uh, facility, as long as you don't have to deal with stairs, um, which. You know, obviously, this robot doesn't do, um, but other than that, you know, we've got a solution that can take things from point A to point B in a building, and you know, whether you're in, a, you know, a lab where you need to move samples around, whether you're in a hospital, whether you're in elder care, um, whether you're in hotels, obviously, or whether you're in um, some other indoor uh, facility, you know, if you need stuff to move on a regular basis from point A to point B, we've got a great solution that you know, works around people. And that's kind of what we're focused on now.
0: Oh, interesting. That's exciting. That, that sounds like a big feature. And, uh, that's probably a good way to end this podcast, but, uh, definitely appreciate your time, Steven. It's really interesting, interesting what you guys are doing. And we'll, uh, I'll keep a close eye to see how things progress and where else you take, uh, relay into other industries. So definitely appreciate it. And good luck with things, uh, in the future. Thanks very much, Steve. And thanks, everyone, listening to, for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. We'll see you next time.